Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. November 20th is Transgender Day of Remembrance. It's an annual observance on November 20th that honors the memory of transgender people whose lives were lost in acts of anti-trans violence. Additionally, the week before Trans Day of Remembrance, people and organizations around the country participate in Transgender Awareness Week to help raise visibility for transgender people and address issues the community faces. Transgender Day of Remembrance was started in 1999 by transgender advocate Gwendolyn Ann Smith as a vigil to honor the memory of Rita Hester, a transgender woman who was killed in 1998. We are here with Legal's board president, Kristen Browdy, who is going to talk to us a little bit about the importance of Transgender Day of Remembrance, um, you know, broadly across the country. It's an international day as well. It is now, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, there's no question, but that this is a special day, one that is incredibly moving to those of us who are transgender, because we pause and often read the names of those who have been killed in acts of violence in our countries. And in the United States, those numbers are horrific. The American Medical Association, not exactly a flaming liberal or equality group, has called it an epidemic. Mm. The assaults, the violence, and killings, in particular of trans women of color in the United States, as of the first of last month, the first of October, there had been 22 trans people who we knew were trans, who were murdered in the United States. And if you extrapolate that across the population and look at murder rates, if you are a trans woman of color, you are almost 10 times more likely to be killed in an act of violence. And that's just killed Mm -hmm. um, than anybody else. The, The numbers are horrific. And every year we are losing incredible numbers, 22 so far as of the last statistics this year, 29 the year before that. So we pause to say not one more, only to see more after more. And, and, and we come together as a community to remember those who have been taken from us and to pledge our undying, unstoppable movement to put an end to this, to put an end to the bigotry that fosters the kind of hate that goes into these killings. I'm going to read some statistics from the FBI, which collects hate crime data and releases it every year. According to them, hate crime incidents that were rooted in anti-LGBTQ bias jumped by 2% this year over from last year. About one in five hate crimes is targeting LGBTQ people. Reports of anti-transgender violence are also growing in particular. These reported incidents increased 34% since last year. And this is way underreported. There were about 16,000 law enforcement agencies across the country um, that participate, and only 2,000 actually reported any hate crimes at all. Um, So, for example, the state of Alabama didn't report a single hate crime in 2018. So these numbers are actually much, much higher. So um, what about for uh, LGBT? allies um, who 
what does Transgender Day of Remembrance mean for them? What, what activism and uh, steps can folks take to make sure that it's not, you know, Transgender Day of Remembrance isn't about, you know, trans people and actions that they're going to take. It's a dedication for all of us to take some action and to stand up and to do something about violence and bigotry. Well, I think that everyone who is lesbian or gay or bi or queer is familiar with violence because before there was violence that was particularized against trans folk, it was violence against the LGB part of the LGBTQ community. Um, you don't have to be trans to understand what this means. Uh, anybody who grew up on Christopher Strait knows about the beatings and the attacks, random attacks by folks who would come in with the express idea that they were going to go and queer bash. Um, and I remember that vividly when I was growing up. Uh, and it was horrific then. So there's that, I, common, that common history of violence that we share. So if you're part of that community and you feel that you want to participate, uh, the Gay Center holds, a, holds a, a, a major event every year, and there will be events in almost every community where trans activists and others will come together on the 20th, or because there's so many on the 20th, mm -hmm. uh, on a couple of days around it, that you can participate in and, and or send a message or a tweet or a, or a Facebook post just letting folks know that you stand with the trans community and that you remember and that you abhor the violence. It'll make a difference. We have an administration in Washington that doesn't seem to care, in fact, seems to foster it. Fortunately, in New York State, we have the exact opposite. We have an administration that has done everything that's possible to uh, help protect the community. And if you want to be part of that, please do. And please let your elected officials know just how important that is to, to you as well. Something that I wanted to call attention to was a um, report that the Movement Advancement Project, or MAP, released uh, just today um, with some statistics that I want to share. There are 1.4 million trans people living in the United States. The South actually has the most transgender residents. About one in six trans people live in rural areas. Half of LGBTQ adults live in states where there are no laws barring job discrimination. About 25% of transgender adults have been harassed when their identity documents don't match their gender. And 9% of trans adults reported being physically attacked in the past year because of their identity. What can you tell us about how I mean, there's the there's a general culture from uh, Trump, the Trump Trump's rhetoric uh, that's encouraging violence, not just aimed at, but all hate violence, right? Um, but there's also the um, the ways that policies and the marginalization of trans people through, you know, not having employment protections, um, access to health care, all of those things contribute to further marginalization, isolation, mm -hmm. um, and, and stigma. How are all those things kind of, why are laws, culture, stigma, opportunity, all kind of tied together in this issue of trans violence? There is a segment of society 
in which Donald Trump is, is, is but a free rider. Mike Pence is a real driver of that train. Uh, the, the right wing extremists among those who call themselves Christians, but who probably aren't really Christians, um, seem to think that they can score points within their own movement by marginalizing a group. Um, it used to be lesbians and gays. That hasn't worked for them. They've moved on to us. Um, and, you know, we've got our work cut out in the next year, mm -hmm. making sure that, that they don't have a majority anywhere. Um, and until then, we are going to have to resist in every way that we can. Uh, it's unfortunate, but mm -hmm. it's a fact that that's where they are. And we're not going anywhere. I mean, right. re re remember from, from the old days of, of battling HIV, the, the chant, we're queer, we're here, get used to it. Yeah. Well, we're saying the same thing. So in terms of policy, I know we have a long way to go. In fact, it was in New York, which we consider to be, you know, not certainly not the reddest state in the country. Um, it was not until this year that New York passed a comprehensive statewide non-discrimination bill uh, with protections for transgender and gender non-conforming New Yorkers. We finally passed another bill eliminating the use of trans panic defenses in court. And we finally banned conversion therapy statewide, which of course is a form of torture that targets all LGBTQ people, including trans folks and youth. How about, um, because this is a legal podcast and um, you, know, you mentioned that you know, hopefully the Trump administration is not long for this world. Uh, his judges that he's appointing are, and so we're talking about, um, you know, whether uh, these cases, the big cases are going to keep coming. And the Supreme Court hearing Amy Stevens' case highlights that um, even that they're going to be on a massive scale, and even Supreme Court justices don't get this issue, don't understand, don't understand trans identity um, and the legal arguments. So what about the law and the judges that we're going to keep from the Trump administration? Well, there are two things I'd, I'd observe. First of all, okay. that he has appointed almost one in four federal judges right now is a real danger to the nation, uh, to, especially to those of us who are not cis white hat. Um, that's something we're going to have to deal with. But to the cases that are currently before the court, um, I was sitting in the courtroom listening to the oral arguments, and when Justice Gorsuch talked about the massive social upheaval that would, those were his words, that would take place were trans folk to be part of society, there were a half dozen trans attorneys in that room. Right. And, and I don't know about the rest of them, but I almost fell off my chair. I'm like, I, I felt like standing up and going, listen, asshole. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a podcast. We can say no, that. No, we, we sure can. Come on. Uh, uh, I've been a practicing attorney for 17 years. What's your problem? Right. And it, but what it showed more than anything else was that that particular group of people, including Sonia Sotomayor, seemed clueless. They just didn't understand the experience, didn't understand that being transgender is in your professional life, in your any facet of life, no more significant than being the difference between being blonde or brunette. Um, how we make that message known, question number one. Yeah. Question number two, after 
after those oral arguments, but before the decision has not yet been, been released in the Stevens case or the other two LGBT cases that were argued that day, Justice Gorsuch and Justice Alito were seen in a photo. Now, I don't know when that photo was it taken. It was Kavanaugh, actually. Uh, Kavanaugh sorry, I, I apologize. Yes, yeah. it was Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Alito were seen in a photograph with two right-wing organizations, one of which had filed an amicus brief, and they were meeting privately with them. Was that ex parte communication? I don't know. All right, I'd like to believe that, that no justice would engage in that. But given that appearance, given that appearance, those two judges, in my view, have to recuse themselves. They cannot give the appearance that they have met with secretly right. the two lobbyists. Right. And Brian Brown, who you're talking about here, is not um, just a guy that filed an amicus no. brief. He is behind the entire political strategy and spoke on a day when he was meeting these folks where other speakers were talking about eradicating us from society, extermination, just really He's an extremist. Horrific. Yes. The National Organization for Marriage is as much a terrorist group, group yeah. as, 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 as anything else. And that they... The only reason we know about that meeting is that Brown tweeted out the photo. Mm. And it was, it was, in a way, saying, screw you, we've got this wired. Right. Well, if that's what the Supreme Court is about right now, we have a problem. Right. Um, and I think that those two justices, if they have any honor at all, will recognize the damage they will do to the judicial process and to this U.S. Supreme Court if they render a decision having been in that meeting. I want to um, talk to you a little bit about, in closing on this issue, what members of the lawyering committee or community can do. Um, specifically, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the Trans Bar Association sure. and the action that you're taking to hopefully raise the visibility of uh, trans lawyers uh, to well, the most important people um, judges and we 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 have um, said you know after after that those are all arguments I also had the national trans I'm co-chair of the National Trans Bar Association in a, in addition to being the chair of the board of legal um, and I, I went back and I said look these guys don't get it how do we convince them that not only are we real we're, we're, we're practicing attorneys who represent clients, some of whose cases are before them. Right, yeah. And I remember I'm admitted to the bar of the United States Supreme Court. I was admitted uh, in a ceremony back in 2006 uh, with, with a class of lawyers from Fordham Law. And you have to wait a number of years because there's so many Fordham lawyers who want to be admitted that you get on a list and when your time comes up, you get, you get your turn. And I remember being sworn in by Chief Justice Roberts. Mm. And it was a huge honor. I, I, you know, I may not like his politics, but being in that room and being sworn in as a member of the Supreme Court bar was immensely significant. So I said, well, there have to be members of our bar association, which number a couple of hundred attorneys across the nation who aren't admitted and who qualify for admission. Why don't we see how many of them would come to Washington mm -hmm. and be sworn in? Yeah. And so we put it out to our membership and within a day and a half had a large group who said, um, yeah, let's do this. It's a fact 
that those justices need to see, as does every judge in every court need to see, that there are attorneys who've practiced before them, who they may not even know are trans. Right. But I, there, there are judges, when I did the training in the Ninth Judicial District up in, in New York, judges before whom I had been practicing for, for quite some time, both before I came out and after, who were shocked and said, oh my God, I just thought you were his wife. <laughs> and I'm like, no. And then there was my favorite judge, Judge Ecker, who said, I just thought you were his daughter. Well, why don't we leave it with that? Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. And for everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, it is a time to honor the memory of those whose lives have been lost in acts of anti-transgender violence. And here on the Legal LGBT Podcast, and certainly at the LGBT Bar of New York, we honor them with action. So please, I urge you to get involved in your communities. If you're a lawyer here at the LGBT Bar, we are always looking for volunteers to help at our uh, legal clinics that happen every single Tuesday at the LGBT Center from 7 to 9 right here in New York City. Uh, we've been doing this for 30 years, and we serve about 2,000 LGBT low-income New Yorkers every single year. They uh, really need help, and we rely on the um, volunteerism and the activism and the generosity uh, of our expert lawyer network. So if you want to get involved, that's one way that you can put uh, remembrance into action. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back soon.